does the world say about love? Love is a many-splendored thing. Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. Sounds so good in theory. But you see, I've loved. I've been loved. And I've lost love. I've seen love go. Unfortunately, I've been burned by love. And now, I struggle to accept it or receive it. Love could be a torrential downpour soaking everything all around me, but I remain dry, untouched, and unmoved. But then there's God's love. When I was young, I was told, God loves you. Just like every other child, I sang the song. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him. Little ones to him belong. Let's just say I grew up. And I became a victim of failed love. Conditional love. Easy come, easy go kind of love. And basically I decided that love stinks. And life, life did what it does best. It hardened me. I remember God's love and how it's supposedly unchanging, always, right there in front of me, begging me to acknowledge its presence. But I still deny its existence. I wasn't always hardened to God's love. There was a time when I trusted it. I even reached out for it. Yeah, but aren't you ashamed? What? Do you really think he could love you after what you did? No, I don't. He will never forget how you failed. I did fail. I turned away and I made horrible choices that I regret. But what about forgiveness? He can forgive. Yeah, but you've done nothing to earn it. No. No. What makes you think that you even deserve, deserve his love? love? Nothing. I mean, if it's one thing I've learned, it's that love has its limits, right? 
and his love has to have its limits too, right? Maybe it's too late for you. Maybe it's too late for me. But, but if it's too late, then why can I still see his love? He must be trying to tell me something. Yeah, but aren't you afraid? Afraid? Think about all those people in your life who said that they loved you and then crushed you. That's probably what he would do to you, too. You should fear his rejection. Fear his rejection? I can't handle any more rejection. Maybe you should reject him. Before he rejects me. But I don't want a life without love. Yeah, but... Look at the mess I made. Am I too broken? Am I too far gone? Is anybody out there? No. No surprise. How can I believe in a perfect love with all these failures? I can't forget what I've done. How could he? truth is many of us, in fact, way too many, struggle with the same doubts and fears. Can God really love me after all that I've done? I mean, sure, there must be some limits to his love. Will he forgive me after the countless times I have failed him again and again? I can't forgive what I've done. How could God? I've thought that myself. 
Or we think maybe I'm just too broken and too far gone. And the more we doubt his love, his grace, and his undeserved goodness in our lives, the more bound we become, the more bound we become by the lies of the enemy. I talk with people all the time. And I hear what I call a but theology, a yeah, but theology. Yeah, I know God loves me, but. Yeah, I know God is merciful and kind, but. Yeah, I know the Bible says, but you don't know me. And the sad truth is, when you live with a yeah, but theology, one of two things usually ends up happening. One of two things. Either first, you give up. You just stop caring. You think, I can never get there on my own. I can never do it. I can never be good enough. And so you just quit. Or the other extreme is you work harder in a performance-based relationship with God. You think, I just got to dig a little deeper, do a little more. I got to get my act together. I got to pull it together. I got to work harder. And you live in a performance-based relationship with God, and it robs you. That always robs you of joy and peace. And so in case you're wondering, neither one of these options is good, giving up or just striving harder. Neither works. I have a friend of mine who vacillates between pride and self-disgust on a regular basis. One week, he's kind of proud about his walk and how he's doing with God. Next week, he's just disgusted and, and frustrated with himself. When he's doing fine, avoiding any major sins in his life, then he's like my grandchildren who at times say, Grandpa, look at me, look at me. And they, want, they love attention. They want to just draw it all to them. It's all about them. The world revolves around them when they are very proud of themselves. Sometimes my friend's like that. He just thinks, I've got it all together and look at me. Other times when he fails, when he stumbles, when he falters, when he blows it, he drops out. He drops out of my life and usually out of God and out of church and out of relationship with the Father. And he hides in the darkness, afraid and embarrassed. And here's what he wrestles with when he blows it. Here's the belief that he lives with. He says, I know God loves me, but... There's the yeah, but. I know God loves me, but... I can't come to him right now because I'm pretty sure he's really ticked off at me. My friend's view of God is that when he blows it, God gets really mad. God's wrath is something to be afraid of and to hide from. And he says, I can't go to God. God's way, way too mad at me right now. And I've probably read a dozen times this passage to my friend. In Hebrews 4, verse 14 and 16, it says this. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He's talking about Jesus. It says, Jesus understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And then verse 16, I love it, says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our glorious God, of our gracious and kind God. There we will receive his mercy and find his grace to help us in our time of need. The writer of this passage in Hebrews makes it very clear, very clear here, that instead of running from God, we should run to Him. Instead of just trying to hide when we fail and blow in fear of His wrath, we should run to Him. And why? Well, he makes it clear here why. First, because God understands us. He gets us. He knows. Jesus walked on this earth just like you and I do. And the Bible says we have a high priest who understands our weaknesses. He knows the temptations. He never failed, but he knows what we face every day. And so he's not angry. He's not un, uh, uh, mad at us because he understands what we deal with. And the second reason why the writer of Hebrews says we should run to him is because that throne is not a throne of wrath or judgment. It is a throne of grace and mercy. Here's a little insight for you. God knows you. God knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows the temptations that tend to mess you up. He knows our human nature. 
And that's why. Here's the good news in one short sentence. The good news is all about Jesus who died for your sins on the cross. That's why God provided the cross. When Jesus paid the price for our sins once for all and for all, he settled the payment. He settled the wrath of God. He removed it from us. We don't have to fear that anymore. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Christ never sinned, but God put our sin on him. He put your sin on him. He put my sin on him. So we are made right with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Paul says, here's the deal. You've you got to understand this. God took all of his wrath, all of his anger against sin, and he put it on Jesus when Jesus took our sin for him, for us, on the cross. When Jesus took that, it made us. When we appropriate that for our lives, that's when we are made right. It says we're made righteous in Christ. So we're made right with God because of what Jesus has done for us. You see, if we put our focus on our past, on our failures, on our sins, or even on our present failures, what happens is we end up taking our eyes off of the cross. We start looking at ourselves and how pathetic we are and how messed up we are and the instant we do that the reason why it's so horrible is that we're taking our eyes off of the cross and off of Jesus and Paul says I, I, I encourage you remember the cross look to the cross look to him because if you don't you end up in despair and condemnation if you look inward if you look at your life and that's where you stop then you're going to end up in despair and condemnation and I know it seems crazy in fact it's ludicrous but Romans 8 1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus no condemnation for those who belong to him no condemnation and no means no those who belong to Jesus are free from God's wrath and judgment he's not ticked off at you now and he never will be, never. End of story. And so we can run to him rather than run from him. He's a gracious God who loves us, and he wants us to come to him even in our weakest moment. Many years ago, I had a long conversation with a woman who was um, very broken, lived a very broken life. She'd had two abortions by the time she was in her mid-20s. Uh, she'd been married and divorced. Uh, she told me that she'd slept with so many men that she'd lost count of how many. She had a daughter, a teenage daughter, who was addicted to crack, and she was an alcoholic. And I mean broken, B, capital B, broken. Her life was very messed up. And here's what she thought. Here's the belief that she had. She believed that somehow God must have a limit to his grace and mercy. She, I, I think she really did believe God loved her, but she thought, I, and yet, I, there's just no way that his grace and mercy can cover all that I have done. She actually said to me once, I know God probably had a plan for my life, but it's too late for me. And I wonder how many of us feel that way at times. We think, well, I know once upon a time God had a perfect will for my life. God had a plan for my life. God wanted to do something with me, but I got so far off, so messed up, so broken, so stupid, that now there's no way I can find my way back to that. She believed because of all she'd done. But there's some that there was a limit to God's goodness. And we all too often believe the same lie. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know God is good, but there's no way he's that good. I know God loves me, but I don't think he, that his love will cover this sin. Not the, maybe the first 10,000 times, but not this time, not again. And we think there's no way back. There's no way for us to get on track again. And here's why we believe that. Because you and I have limits. We all do. We live with human limits. 
And how many times have you in a relationship looked at somebody and said, if that guy does that one more time, if my kid says that one more time, I'm going to take him out. We have limits in our relationships with the people around us. We don't go beyond ourselves very often. And so we tend to look at God the way we look at others or the way we look at ourselves. That there's only so much that we can give, only so much people will give to us, and that must be the way God is. But not so. Not so with him. Last week I talked about how the Bible says we're to have no other gods before the Lord. That there's not to be any other thing, person, or activity that means more to us than he does. And that is clearly taught. Old and New Testament. It's a, the call of, of God. Put me first in your life. Put me first. Love me with all that you are. And I've noticed sometimes that we are loving God. We are in relationship with him. We're worshiping, serving the God of the universe. And we would say, I don't have any God before God. I, I'm not creating any idols in my life. But we still have this nasty tendency from time to time to form him into our image. What do I mean by that? We project on God the way we are. I'm limited, and I begin to think God must be limited too. I can only love so much and go so far. That must be the way God is well. We believe God must have limits because everybody has limits. But that's making an idol, a false idol, out of the one true God. King David wrote in Psalms of the unfailing, never-ending love of God quite a bit. But my favorite passage where he wrote about this is found in Psalm 51. And in this passage, he wrote this after confessing and repenting for his sin against Bathsheba and against her husband. He committed adultery and murder, in case you're wondering. Two pretty significant major sins, wouldn't you agree? Adultery and murder, and he wrote these words, though. Psalm 51, verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. And I want you to notice here where David's focus was and where our focus needs to be. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Please get this today. Please let this truth go deep into your hearts today. God's love never fails. It never fails. It never gives up on us. It never runs out. Once again, we may live with a false belief that there are limits to God's goodness and love. It's an attitude that focuses on us when we believe that instead of the incredible, powerful, and unbelievable love of God, the redeeming power and love of God. But here's what I want you to know today. Here's what I want you to walk out of here with. His love is bigger than your blunderings. And his grace is greater than your wanderings. His love is bigger than your worst moment. His love is bigger than your worst failure, your worst sin. Whether it happened on the way to church today or it's happened ten times this week or whether you failed in the same thing over and over and over again, his love is greater. His love is bigger than your blunderings. His grace is greater than your wanderings. And if we forget this or if we choose not to believe this, then what we're really saying is, God, you're not bigger than my mistakes. And in essence, what we're really saying is, God, I don't trust you. I'm trusting myself rather than trusting in you. And God says, no, trust in my unfailing love and my never-ending love for you. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is found in Jeremiah. It's actually become quite popular. I, it, I've considered it a life verse of mine from the time that I came back to the Lord in my early 20s. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. And Jeremiah was a prophet, and he spoke to the Israelites, and he said this, For I know the plans I have for you. He's speaking for God. 
God is saying to the people that had rebelled against him, forsaken him, messed up big time. God spoke to them. And by the way, they were in captivity in Babylon, taken off in prison and chains from their homeland, from Jerusalem. They're messed up people who failed again and again and again and again. And God said to them, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. God says, I know you failed. I know you've messed up, but I also know the plans I have for you. They're plans for good and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. God says to you today, I know what you've done. I know how bound up you are by so many things, but never doubt that my unfailing love for you and my plan is always there. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, I pray this morning that you would capture our hearts with the simple truth that you love us no matter what. Your love is an unfailing love. It's a powerful love. That is a love that holds us no matter what. And that, that you will keep us in that place, God, that we need to be. That you'll draw us back. And that we just need to run to the throne of grace when we fail. Run to your mercy. Run to you in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our heartache, in the midst of our failure. Instead of running from you, God, we need to run to you. Knowing that your God is gracious and kind and merciful. A God of unfailing love and goodness. Please, God, overwhelm our hearts right now with that truth. I don't know where these people are all at, but I know this, Lord. You know. You know their hearts. You know their lives. You know everything about them. And your, your compassion for them is greater than they can possibly understand. And you love them, Lord. And you want them to walk out of here today changed by that love. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I want you to know is that his love's never going to give up on you. Never. But do you have any idea what I've done? i 
nothing that can separate my heart from your great love. His love never fails. It never runs out on us. If only we could live right there, rather than bound by the chains and the lies. If we could live every minute of every day, how would that change your life? How would that radically alter the way you live? Let me finish where we started. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us approach the throne of grace with the fullest of confidence that we may receive mercy for our failures and grace to help us. In our deep our heads, let me pray again. Father, thank you for this grace that is ours. And I don't know, Lord, maybe there's some people here today that have not yet said yes to that grace. They've not yet chosen to believe, to, to, to believe in your goodness for them, to believe in your grace that is greater than all our sin. And I pray, Lord, that in this moment right now, you would capture their hearts in a way that shows them how good you are and how powerful you are, and that no matter what they've done, you love them. You've always loved them. You will always love them. And show them, Lord, the life, the plan that you have for them right now. 
Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed if you would. And maybe you're here today and you've, again, you, you, it's dawned on you. You realize in this moment, oh man, I need God. I need to be set free. I need that Savior. I need that grace. I need the free gift of forgiveness that he's offered to me. And I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now. And if that's you, if that's what you want, I'm going to ask you in this moment, just to make my words, this prayer, your prayer right now. All you do in your heart, you say, yes, God, that's me. That's what I want. Make this prayer yours. Father, forgive me for I've sinned against you. I've failed. I've gone my own way, and I've ended up in a mess and bound by my sin. And today I come to the one who can set me free. I come to the one who has promised forgiveness. And I give my life to you because you gave your life for me. I choose to follow you today. I choose to give you my all today. I surrender to you because of your love for me. Now, if that's you, in your own heart, in your own way, again, just say, yeah, God, that's me. That's what I want. That's what I need. And the Bible says the moment you say yes to him, that moment you cross that line in your heart of faith, you become a child of God, forever his, forever. Lord, seal in the hearts of those making that decision right now or watching online. Show them, God, what this means and what you're going to do through them. Your great love. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to finish one last song today. I, I love this song, and it's a declaration, and it's a prayer. And so I'm going to ask you to sing this. The ushers are going to come. We're going to give. If you're a guest today, please don't feel obligated to give. This is your church home. Give to support the resources that we need to support what God's doing. But let's give as we worship, and I'll come back and wrap it up. Amazing love. And I know you think, how can it be? It's because of who he is, because of what he's done. We are free today. And if today, if you begin your life as a Christ follower, I want to encourage you, you tell someone, you come tell me, please let us walk with you in this journey. There's a packet on the door, by the doors on your way out, on the table, says, Free of Christians, got a Bible, some material to get you started in your walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up and let us walk with you. But lots of us today, we've been reminded, we've known the Lord, we've already made the decision to become His. But you need to leave here today remembering this, you are free. You can live free. He loves you with an unfailing love. If you need prayer, the prayer team will be down front. There's communion both sides of the room. You guys go and enjoy the sunshine and a great Mother's Day. God bless you. Thanks for coming.